We need to be armed. We need to be intellectually dangerous. We need to be dangerous in speech. We need to be virtuous in action. We need to have at our disposal the practices, the procedural, perspectival information, the perspectival knowledge to be able to, to resist tyranny when it rises. We need to be more than what we currently are. We need to not be slaves to the emergent technologies that are supposed to make our lives uh, easier. We need to be sovereign people. We need to be self-sovereigns. We need to be kings and every man. Peace is declared and I return to Aknistand, but not the same. Things have transpired which made me learn the size and meaning of the game. I did no more than others did. I don't know where the change began. I started as an average kid. I finished as a thinking man. If England was what England seems and not the England of our dreams, but only putty, brass and paint, how quick we drop her, but she ain't. Before my gap and mouth could speak, I heard it in my comrade's tone. I saw it in my neighbour's cheek, before I felt it flush my own. And last it come to me, not pride, nor yet conceit, but on the old, such a term may be applied, the makings of a bloomin' soul. Rivers at night that cluck and jeer, plains which the moonshine turns to sea, mountains that never let you near, and stars to all eternity and the quick-breathing dark that fills the hollows of the wilderness, when the wind worries through the hills, these may have taught me more or less. Towns without people and ten times look, and ten times left and burned at last, and starving dogs that come to look for owners when a column passed, and quiet homesick talks between men met by night you never knew, until his face by shellfire seen, once and struck off, they taught me too. The days lay out the morning sun beneath your apron you sight, the dinner rush from noon to one, and the full roar that lasts till night, and the poor dead that look so old, and was so young at hour ago, and legs tied down before they're cold. These are the things which make you know. Also time running into years, a thousand places left behind. And men from both two hemispheres discussing things of every kind, so much more near than I had known, so much more great than I had guessed, and me like all the rest alone, but reaching out to all the rest. So hath it come to me, not pride, nor yet conceit, but on the whole, if such a term may be applied, the makings of a blooming soul. But, but now discharged, I fall away to do with little things again. God, who knows all I cannot say, look after me. Thames Fontaine, if England was what England seems, not the England of our dreams, but only putty, brass and paint, though how quick we chuck her, but she ain't. If England was what England seems, and not the England of our dreams, but only putty, brass and paint, how quick we chuck her, but she ain't. What's interesting about that, uh, that poem is it kind of reminds me of uh, that poem is it kind of reminds me of, of what I was talking about with Agincourt is coming back from uh, overseas with all this knowledge and understanding and awakening to the understanding of what you are and what the places that you exist in and what your country was that you left when you come back you see the implicit hidden practices the implicit hidden hidden ways of being that you might not have noticed when you were amongst it, when it was just what you did, which is half the problem. 
is that we forget what these things, well, because they emerge, right? And it's one of the only places that had long enough that they could emerge. We never explicitly knew how they operated. And so we throw them away quite casually. But when you come back, as this, this verse represents, this Kipling verse, the return represents, you come back with a soul. Also because of the procedures you learn overseas, part of your power, because you were needed, as happened in Agincourt, right? As the longbow demonstrated. I like the way he puts it too, sort of making of a soul. Because a soul's made through its practices, through its practices that help you meet your potential. And that's demonstrated. It's like the king spirit is only, only exists in you. If you, are, you make yourself dangerous, is if you develop yourself, is if you, if you catalyze in yourself the virtual, the virtue engine. It's like England was what England seems and not the England of, of our dreams, but only putty bros and plaint. And we drop her, but she ain't. And you see that when you come back from overseas, especially if you've been deployed overseas. You see all you have especially these values of ours that are about resistance to tyranny. When you're not in a tyrannical situation, you forget. You forget because especially the moral impulsion only reveals itself. It reveals itself and pushes down, pushes back down the tyranny. It's a behavior that's, that's triggered by other behavior, by a situation that arises where people go, oh, I'm feeling tyrannized. Even in minor ways, of course, it's enforced socially across the whole sphere of things, right? That's in the tradition of it. You don't see it when you're amongst it. When you come back, though, you do. And that's the insight that this talks about, is that there's, there is an, in, there's an invisible, implicit thing that's dense and deep and powerful. What it is, though, is a moral impulse when that behavior is manifested, that tyrannical behavior is manifested, but you don't see it until it emerges. So if you're going through a sort of death of a thousand cuts, then you might not, you might be like the frog in the small, in the urn, the frog in the urn being boiled slowly. It's important for us to see the tyranny. So we need people to call it out, for people to say, this, here it is, here it is, and then people will feel it. But yes, it's like a, it's an impulsion that's driven by once the continuity is broken, right? Like once the continuity with the moral order that creates a sort of free state, once that's broken, you have, you have someone else or some force enacting behaviors that trigger the moral impulsion where the actual patterns of the behavior that that categorical imperative describe, um, the moral impulsion and the behaviors that are connected to it or resisting tyranny uh, are enacted once in reaction to something, right? So it's like a... That's all, almost what all the rights describe, really, in the Constitution, when you think about the freedom of speech. Really what it's saying, like, you have the right to do this. Really what it's saying is they're coming. They're going to come. The tyrant is coming for your ability to uh, defend yourself from physical harm. The tyrant's coming for your, for your ability to uh, defend your spirit, you know, freedom of religion. The tyrant's coming for your ability to to defend your mind, for your ability to have a mind, for your practices that keep you uh, powerful enough in mind, in spirit. Right? They're coming for this. Like you can't understand actually actually being being the Englishman unless you're actually trying or taking some sort of part in some of the duties. Or else are we Englishmen? Are we Australians? Are we New Zealanders? Canadians? Really? If you're not, if you're not a danger to the government. Consent isn't real unless they really need your consent. If they're asking your consent, 
there has to be a situation where if you didn't give it, they just couldn't stop you. It's just, it's nothing. It's just a silly platitude, right? They need to need you for something. They need to need you not to rise up against them, right? It needs to be an implicit threat. If there's no implicit threat, if you have to do everything, then there's no such thing. So that's why it's, an, it's a necessity to be dangerous. All right, let's say that intellectually, okay, you've got this group of citizens who understand that the state's a danger and they can rise up and get everyone else to as well. Uh, that's a danger because you could, they could turn people inside the state against the state, right, the power of, with the power of ideas. So being dangerous intellectually, being dangerous in spirit, that's what people come, that's what they come for, isn't it? They come for the things that they don't want to need you for anything. And that's why they come for those things first. They, w- they don't want to need you to be silent. We need to be armed. We need to be intellectually dangerous. We need to be dangerous in speech. We need to be virtuous in action. We need to have at our disposal the practices, the procedural, perspectival information, the perspectival knowledge to be able to, to resist tyranny when it rises. We need to be more than what we currently are. We need to not be slaves to the emergent technologies that are supposed to make our lives uh, easier. We need to be sovereign people. We need to be self-sovereigns. We need to be kings and every man. Or else, what are you? You're just a slave. You're living off someone else. No duty. Without duty, you're nothing. Without doing, having, contributing a piece of the pot, you're a grifter. You're a spineless grifter who is just living off the duty of others if you're not doing your part. And that can be simple. That can be even just making yourself dangerous is enough to making yourself capable, living up to your individual potential helps you be an implicit threat to that state. If enough people are powerful intellectually and to have the uh, wisdom, and when I say wisdom, I mean the practices and the procedural understanding as well, not just the propositions to be able to, transform themselves as situations change. That's what creates a free country. That's what creates the freedom, the free realm for us to prosper. Or else we don't deserve it. We don't deserve being in a free realm unless we're capable of being dangerous free men. That's, and that's the price. That's just the price, right? Because slavery awaits and it's te- just teeters on the edge. Slavery is this close. If there's no threat, no even a small implicit threat of all the people rising up against you, then people, the ruling class, will just do what it wants, man. Because it's not what our tradition was either. There has supposed to be an implicit founding togetherness, an implicit consent. Like, that's our, our gift to the world, is that idea of consent, right? This emergence of this idea of needing the consent. Because on the continent, the consent wasn't needed. But it was needed. You needed that consent. You needed them to go overseas for you. You, need, well, you needed us to... You needed our consent to defend the place, right? You needed, like when the Normans first came, they needed everyone to bound together. It became us versus them. It was Ulta Imperium. It was us versus them bounded together because the invasions were coming. The invasions could come, the potential. And that bound us together. And that's where the whole thing emerges from. This new, this new value, this new value of the outside tyranny and the inside, the, the hate of the tyranny on the inside and the outside. Uh, uh, and and ha- owning a piece of constituent sovereignty. And constituent duty, it emerges out of duty first, is that, oh, you need this from me. You need me to go overseas and do a part of your, what was your prime role. And so it becomes a prime value on our part. They, Kipling and, and Kipling and Arthur Conan Doyle, jumping forward in time a bit, 
they were big proponents of rifle ranges and people learning weapons based on their own understanding of this, uh, this, this matter I'm talking about. Agincourt, the longbow, every able-bodied man do it. Because, of course, the value and the, the idos is in there. Uh, from those events, they remember it, and they look even without having to read and in, read into it, and they do read into it. And so they form the first NRA, the first National Rifle Association is formed in Britain, right? Uh, and then twelve years later, in America as well. So there's the connection. You see, jumping forward in time to uh, Kipling's time and Arthur Conan Doyle. They were big proponents of national rifle clubs that everyone should learn how to shoot in England across the place. So they started a whole movement of, of a growth of rifle clubs and they and the founding and they founded the first NRA or part of it, founded the first NRA in Britain. Twelve years later, the first one in America happened, right? Because of course Kipling was friends with Teddy Roosevelt. These people were connected. These people were connected. But that's just drawing a connection, of course, that the right to bear arms is before that. But um this Cultural connection is in Britain too. So you have it in America, and just because of now, you say, "Oh, the police don't carry guns in Britain." Have guns? There's no gun culture there, or they don't like. Well, wrong. Actually, that's more about the state not wanting to give off the behaviours that trigger the moral impulsion, right, for putting down tyrants. So you see, that's an outward reflection of not showing, like you saw with the king and his cronies with the rent tax that brought that. That's a reflection of that. Not that we, like we did. We, of course, there was a rifle range under Westminster. It's only a recent thing that guns were removed. And I say we should have them back. Like we should have them back. And all, we should, the same thing has always been in our culture to have power over. There's never been a standing army. That all well, there was never, the, the standing army was always looked down upon in England, right? It's always been in our culture that we should have that power. We should be dangerous over the state. And the tyrant is coming for your ability to, uh, defend yourself from physical harm. The tyrant's coming for your for your ability to uh, defend your spirit, you know, freedom of religion. The tyrant's coming for your ability to to defend your mind, <laughs> for your ability to have a mind, for your practices that keep you uh, powerful enough in mind, in spirit. Right? They're coming for this. So sail away from safe harbor. It's part of your tradition. It's part of your very nature to firstly to rise up and and resist tyranny but also to sail away to sail into the unknown right that's why it's called rule ruling the waves rule britannia that's what the song means the song means to master the wave to master the dragon to master the unknown and that's what we need to do post-covid as well we need to sail away from safe harbor start new businesses take risks live in the zone of proximal, proximal development to make ourselves dangerous again as in indiv private individual in community, though, community is everything. You need to form together, to form boroughs. That's our tradition. It's the power of the borough, the power of the local, not the one dude on his own, the local, the one dude doing his part, doing his duty, making himself a virtue engine. Dangerous in spirit, dangerous in heart, dangerous in mind, dangerous in arms. Cultivated in arms, cultivated in mind, cultivated in spirit. We can't, we can no longer just allow these things to be implicit because they're going to decay. We must investigate the practices that we can see around us as we stop doing them. Oh, it was just that thing we did, right? The longbow, the guns we used to practice with. We don't need that anymore. The state will take care of us, right? They won't do anything ever wrong to us. They'll look after us. They'll stop us getting hurt. 
Stop us doing this. Stop us doing that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if COVID has taught us anything, it's taught us that they will do whatever the hell they want and make any, any justification necessary to either protect themselves, but also to enact their own will to your own de detriment. They don't want to need you. They want you to just be a, you just be there and do what we say, okay? You just do what we say. Well, there must always be a pathway for the constituent sovereignty of the people to be dangerous enough that its consent is required. There must be a pathway for that always.